from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. It's the fourth week in August, hellaciously hot. Um, and as you probably know, we're counting down the top 10 things that make us go wow. Uh, I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by Tom Campbell, our chief creative officer, and James Hello. St. James, our uh, editor of the Wow Report. So let's let's just count down, guys. Let's just get into it. Number Do ten. It. Number ten. Number ten. Uh, two words. Uh, Michelle Obama. Uh, one of the highlights of the week. One of the things that made me go wow, 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 wow. Uh, has been the Democratic National Convention in general. A brand new way of doing things. A little clunky at times. Much like our own sort of. Uh, you know, Skypey uh, radio show, but I thought the substance was there. And I was, um, I, some nights I was home so I could watch it. Other nights I watched it online, you know, cause it's, it's 2021, you guys. Um, but I, I don't know that anybody, including Biden, and that's not a negative, uh, performed more uh, strongly than Michelle Obama did in her, I'm imagining pre-taped speech. I'm imagining she read it off a prompter, but man, she has such a command of her words. You know that she's involved. They're, they're her ideas. She didn't say Thailand or uh, Yosemite. She knows what she's talking about. And she is such an authority. I'll shut up and you guys can talk. But she's, you know, she's the, the perfect non-politician, right? Wife of the president. Uh, has never been sullied by politics but is so smart and so wise, speaks in a language that I think communicates to everyone. I don't know how you watch that and not believe every word she's saying. Counterpoint, I also thought Joe Biden was absolutely spectacular. And she real I, to me, she walked away with night number two. It was that was that was unbelievable what she did. Um, I also the, the calamari guy, I think, was probably one of the highlights for me. And um, one of the big takeaways the takeaway for me from the Democratic National Convention was uh, Jack Kennedy Schlossberg, the 27-year-old grandson of JFK, who with his mother, Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg, appeared and spoke very eloquently. And Caroline Kennedy is, you know, true American royalty. And um, it's always wonderful to see her. But who knew her son was the hottest guy on the planet? I just exploded afterwards saying, is he married? Can I, you know, can I date him? Is he available? People went bananas for Jack Kennedy Schlossberg. But yes, Michelle Obama was the true star of the of the Democratic Party. I, I love the way she referenced, she clapped back to when they go low, we go high and put that in context and, and pointed out that it wasn't just being nice and smiling like an idiot. That that is and not then when she doing. also clapped back and said it is what it is and that everyone had a collective... Massive shade beyond... Yes, beyond. Yes. Yeah, um, it is what it is. Line of the same. I liked her. It was hard for me to judge because you know I'm close friends with Michelle Obama, as you may recall. So I, I mean, I don't have a, a no, but I was lucky enough to see her speak when I was in London a couple of years ago and see on her book tour, and she, and we got to meet her afterwards. We were with Rue and that whole thing, and 
you know, it was just a few moments and I was so concerned about everybody else having a good time. But she is, you know, she's masterful at dealing with crowds and people and giving you your moment. And she, in that in that arena of 20,000 people where she spoke uh, at the O2 Stadium, it was like you're in her living room. Like she has a true gift of communicating. Well, that actually was like, you're totally right. She is the politician who's not a politician, you know? And but you want her to be a politician. You wish that she would run. You do. But as she said, I hate politics. <laughs> and then, but the whole DNC, the with it does feel a little canned or a little, like you said, like a humble radio show, that sort of absence of sound. And it, and it made me think, what are the Republicans going to do? Because so much of what they do depends on call and response, on cat calling and chanting and oh. naming what are they going to do? How are they going to? Well, you, know, you know that they will. They will. There will be a lot of vitriol, and there's going to be a lot of Ted Nugent's and Scott Bayos and and clunkers like that. But the Republicans have learned in the past ten years how to do the razzle dazzle, and they. they I, I'm a little nervous about what they're going to pull out of their hat because they well, we do have that. a tendency to grandstand and overshadow. And they've got the my pillow guy. So right there, we're at a <laughs> And uh, Karen and the guy with the guns pointed at the crowds. You right, know, the- right. And probably a little Stacy Dash thrown in there. Did you guys hear that the bat that was responsible for the first case of COVID is speaking at the Republican National Convention? Thank you. That's my, that's my Facebook meme steal of the week. Oh, that's so good. Perfect. Okay, let's move on to number nine. James. Number nine. Um, a little counter-programming I've been doing from the, from the convention. Uh, I fell into a Laverne and Shirley marathon, a bunch of them, okay? I have been watching more Laverne and Shirley than I think I did in the 1970s. Um, Laverne and Shirley, of course, is the Happy Days spinoff set in the 1950s, and it stars two plucky uh, girls who are roommates, and they work at a brewery in Milwaukee, and... It was a show that was very seminal to me when I was growing up. It, I was eight or nine, I think, when it started. And me and my friend Matt Cox used to sing Schlemiel, Schmazel, Hasfef Incorporated every day on the way to school. And then we'd play Laverne and Shirley afterwards. And we would both fight over who got to be Shirley. And I think that my whole life has been centered on trying to be Shirley. When the older I get, the more Laverne I am. Uh, <laughs> but it... um. It's weird because, you know, it's set in the 1950s, and yet watching it now, it is so 70s. And the hairdos and the outfit, everything. They, and if, eventually they just sort of, in season four and five, they just forget that it's the 50s. And it's all 70s. And each season gets progressively worse. As um, In 1980, they joined the Army. I don't know if you remember this. The whole season, they're in the Army. And I think they were trying to get that Private Benjamin yes. crowd. And then Shirley just leaves the show altogether, and they all, the whole cast moves to Burbank, and it's the 1960s, and then it's just Laverne and her father, and it's very weird. And Edna, and Edna. And Edna, and Carmine the Big Ragu, and Lenny and Squiggy. Um, But it's strange, like I was saying about how some shows hold up and some shows do not. And we've talked about this before, about how Golden Girls definitely holds up. Yeah. Designing Women and Murphy Brown do not, because Murphy Brown was just Dan Quayle jokes and Newt Gingrich jokes, and it doesn't hold up. Um, I don't think kids today are watching Mary Tyler Moore. 
I don't think that it is it has made the that's transition. A travesty. That's a travesty. But yeah. what about the Shore? It doesn't hold up. No, it doesn't. Happy Days doesn't hold up either. Um, uh, that Girl, Leave It to Beaver, do not. I mean, so many shows that we think of as classics are not holding up. Um, you know, Seinfeld is is under attack constantly. Um, but uh, what made you go back and watch it, James? Like, what what prompted it? Was it was just I was just flipping around. I was bored with everything that I'd seen, and all of a sudden, I saw the swingle, swingle, hoss of ever. And I just like from that moment on, I was watching it for about twelve, thirteen hours. I think, and maybe I'm wrong because I loved that show. You forget how big sitcoms like that used to be in the seventies. Like yeah. they get fifty percent shares. And everything they said would become like national, like, you know, Fonzie and Laverne and Shirley. But their theme songs, maybe this, maybe the show's of age, but their theme songs, Make Our Dreams Come True, was so good. And all I think about is that, mo- and we'll do it our way. Oh, and they're blue collar girls who don't quite fit in. And, there's, and they're in the factory of the, 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 the beer factory and the bottling is going around and, and Laverne and Shirley are just stopped and they're not doing their bottling job. And they're just looking up into the sky. They're dreaming as the bottles go by them. And they put like a glove on a bottle and it goes through the line. It is. It's oh, one of the God. best all-time theme songs ever. Yes. And you think like, because some of the other ones, that some of my other favorites of that era was the Angie theme song. Remember that? And uh, I can sing it all for you, but I won't. <laughs> and the greatest American hero, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. There's so many. crap now because... People don't. They say people don't want. Maybe with streaming, people will bring back the the, the theme song. But on, on, on commercial television, they just want to get to it, get to it, get to yeah. it. Streaming's made it worse. Like if you don't get them in seven seconds, yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh, I was trying to. I'm trying to find things to watch too. But you've been going like back. I've been plunging into Russian sci-fi horror. <laughs> Number eight. <laughs> the Russians are really delivering. I don't know whether they're very confident about getting. Oh, you Putin-loving Republican! They're taking from us. And just last week, they released Sputnik, um, which I thought at first was going to be about Sputnik. It's actually set in the Cold War in like '82, and it's about a, a two Russian cosmonauts who are returning to Earth. Sputnik actually literally translated means. Um, friend or companion and that's the idea of of sputnik is that two two cosmonauts uh they they undock from the space station and then there's a bang and something happens and a day later they land and something has happened and one of them has brought something back with him and obviously this evokes um you know alien and it does go there. It's got an alien type plot to it. But, you know, in Alien, the chestbuster bursts out of John Hurt and it's all over for him. This is, it's almost like, well, what if it didn't burst out? What if it was a, a parasite that was more symbiotic? And the whole film is about this fantastic, creepy, very Russian uh, relationship between this this alien parasite inside this cosmonaut. And um, let me see, the cosmonaut is called Pyotr Fyodorov. James, I promise you, you will take one look and you will be in love. Well, this is the second time you've told me that I need that I need these the Soviet boys are the ones for me. And I, do, do I need to take a, a visit? Do I need to go over there? And, and well, have a, a <laughs> Why not just watch the film? 
He's not a cosmonaut. He's a cosmonauti. Cosmohati. Cosmohati. He is really easy on the eyes. Um, um, this is a, a first-time director, Igor Abramenko, and he made he made a short film, and now he's developed into this feature film. Um, and he says uh, there was an interview. And he says, you know, when he was a kid, he just saw parts of Alien and. He was terrified, but he decided he wanted to do something like that when he grew up. And I tell you, this film is so good. And interestingly, right at the end, they were playing a trailer for something else. It was a Rus- another Russian sci-fi film, which I'll probably talk about next week. But what was interesting was that the trailer for this other film had been dubbed. And in dubbing it, they'd made it completely American. You know, when the hero meets this. And it, it, you just suddenly thought, ugh. The American stuff is so trite and so predictable and syrupy and these false premises and this false love and this sort of narrative that is so familiar to us and stale. And after two hours of Russian austere, there's something... You know, this is something about the Russian. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can approve of this, Fenton. I don't. You seem to be going over to the other side here, and I'm a little worried. James, let's do a let's do a McCarthy thing right now. Fenton Bailey, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? <laughs> Absolutely not. It's just visually so austere and gore. The whole thing is shot in beautiful sort of monochromes and green. Well, where can we see these movies that you keep finding? Are you on some Russian channel or something that we don't know no, about? It just came out. It's on iTunes, Prime Video, Google Play, or Voodoo. Take your pick. Streaming everywhere. Oh, it's, it's the only thing. It's not on Netflix. But Inside your brain, Fenton, be careful. Hey. But you know what is on Netflix? Can I do a little plug? Yeah. Uh, my movie Freak Show just started uh, opened on Netflix this week. Congratulations. Okay. Is that so movie with, with uh, Bette Midler? With Bette Midler and Laverne Cox and Ian Nelson and yeah. uh, Abigail Breslin. That's great. That's called Freak Show streaming on Netflix. Yes. All right. Let's and take America. America. And made in America. Yes. None of this commie shit. <laughs> So, I'll also tell you this, Frida Got a Gun, our documentary of bounce legend Big Frida, is um, streaming at Outfest starting Thursday, August 27th. You can watch the documentary. for It streams for like 72 hours, and we'll post a link on the Wire Report for how you can get tickets. All right, Blake, what was the question? Well, we talked about the only First Lady, Michelle Obama. So I thought we'd do a little First Lady trivia. It's a two-parter, two different answers. Which first lady regularly held seances in the White House? The second question, which first lady was actually married to her fifth cousin? Oh, okay. I know both of those. Yeah. All right. We'll have the answer for you right after the break. You're watching, listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey here with James St. James, Tom Campbell, and Blake Jacobs. We're doing what we normally do, counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. wow. And Blake had a question for us before the break. Yes, Tom talked about Michelle Obama's awesome speech at the DNC earlier this week. So I decided we'd ask a little first lady, lady trivia. Which first lady held seances in the White House? And which first lady was married to her fifth cousin? Two different okay, answers. Tom, I'm going to let you go. For I, I would say 
I know the answer, but I'm also going to say that Mary, maybe Mary Todd Lincoln did as well because she was a little nutty. But the real answer is Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan, yes. And the one who married her fifth cousin. Are we right? Yeah. I have uh, Mary Todd Lincoln. Do you? Okay. Yeah. You they both think that's about Nancy Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. Tell me an about Nancy Reagan. Well, Nancy had her had her um her astrologer come in regularly, things like that. Yeah, yeah, she was very much into it. But I, I do think that Mary Todd Lincoln. But for the one who married her uh, cousin was obviously Eleanor. Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think I actually learned that in elementary school. Sexy. Yes. Yeah. Um, in Arkansas. Yeah, we were all all barefoot too. <laughs> By the way, uh, if you missed Michelle Obama's speech, you can hear it again uh, next week when uh, Melania Trump delivers it at the ah! Republican National Convention. I hear she's speaking on Tuesday night, so see you next Tuesday, Melania. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's carry on with our countdown. We've reached number seven, Tom. Number seven. I watched this a couple weeks ago, but I forgot to talk about it because I've been on and off uh, the show because of other uh, commitments. But have you guys seen the Go Go's documentary that's currently running on Showtime? I have seen parts of it, and I know that they uh, um, uh, came to us because we had footage of them downstairs in the basement. I don't know if it ended up in the documentary or not, but we we provided them some footage. Well, yes, at the World of Wonder building, which Fenton is in, which we used to broadcast out of altogether. Um, in the basement of it was a '70s and '80s punk club called The Mask. And it's 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 a it's a very safe place now, but it'd be a bit of a fire trap for a club, is the way I would look at it. But it was massive, because we use it for storage and studios, lots of things. But it, it was a massive space. It's all this graffiti on the walls. But the GoGo's documentary, I it's so worth seeing. Um, I remember a I remember the GoGo's. I think I was a sophomore in college when Beauty and the Beat became number one, and that. You know, people had records and they played it. And I remember like girls and, and girls would play it a lot too. And it would be like girls in their window, you know, those spring weird warm days of college where everybody's just like hanging out in the sun and that song is blaring. We, we got, got the beat. Everybody can get. And the whole album, just like definitional of the time. Um, and I do remember. I, I, I think I've told you that everybody in my high school, you were either the girls were either Belinda Carlisle's or Pat. Um, uh, Pat, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jane Weeds. No, 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 Pat. Pat Benatar. Oh, Pat Benatar's. Yes. Yeah, you, you're either. Uh, yes, yes, Pat Benatar. Yeah, or, or, yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> um, um, the um, and then there was the behind the music VH1 behind the music a long time ago, which was always infamous because they lived like guy rock stars, right? They were just drugs and dudes and. Theirs was one of the most candid uh, behind the music ever. So I thought I kind of knew the story. But here you have them now, all these years later. They are women of a certain age. They're about our age. And they interview them separately. So it's that Rashomon kind of thing. But, like, everyone's brutally honest because there was ups and downs. There, you know, and, 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 you know, I always say, damn you female groups, because I love a girl group. I love the Go-Go's. I love the Dusty Child. They always break up. You just fall in love. I can't fall in love again. Fifth Harmony it happened all over again. But um, uh, they went through so much stuff, and they talk about it so brilliantly. The big shock for me, and maybe people knew, is that Gina Shock, who was the, the, the player, 
And one of the songwriters she wrote, We Got the Beat, had a huge heroin problem <laughs> during all of this. Because you wonder, like, what tears them apart? What could possibly be wrong? They're on the top of the world. And it is just that it's the same old story, but it's told, and because it's women, but being on the road, you know, getting everything you want, all the drugs in the world, and then being sapped of every kind of uh, creative thing that you've been building for years, and how they didn't really play their instruments that they learned, how they kind of sucked and, and punk a new wave, which we talk a lot I, about. I was just going to say, I remember seeing them before they broke. They were on a TV show called New Wave Theater that right. I've talked about before. And they were punk as punk can be. They were hardcore. And then the next time I heard them, it was We Got the Beat. And and the and the, the change in the sound, the, the, the way they made the leap from punk into pop right. is just absolutely spectacular. And, of course, with success, people criticize them for that. But they also say that they gave themselves permission to be bad and that's how they existed like there was something about that time where it's like we sounded awful and people applauded and they let us come back and so much of it happened in what is now the basement of world of wonder at the mask that's right because the mask was the west coast version of cbgb's the club yeah. in the basement was called the mask and that's where all the west coast punks and in fact, that's where that's where um uh New Wave Theater was filmed every Saturday night at three o'clock in the morning, and it was the Butthole Surfers, and you know, uh, it was uh, all the Misfits, and uh, you know, all the X, uh, all those bands played, and it was very, it was an incredible time in Los Angeles. I remember seeing the Go Go's um, in in a concert with Flock of Seagulls opening up for them in 1983 at an outdoor venue, and it was one of the best concerts of my life. I still look back on it. And, and they, they, I'm sorry. No, keep going. They paint many vivid pictures of fame and, and, and money in the 80s. And, but, you know, one of them was, the, was their drug problem stuff. But also, like, Jane and Charlotte wrote the music. So when they started to get famous and sold millions of albums, two of them got really rich. And, like, Belinda didn't. And, you know, and so that became a big disparate thing. And by the time the third album came along, they got called into like the the uh, room, and they're like, "We're splitting." You know, they, they got new management. They dumped the first manager. You know, who 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 like hawked her life to get them to Europe the first time. You know, and they sat in some and they say some dick. You know, manager that name his name, and they sat there and they said, "Oh, we're splitting the stuff five ways." And Jane Whedon was like, "No, we're not." <laughs> and she sort of left the group, and it just fell apart from there. I have a question: Is Ginger Canzanari in? In the documentary, she was one of their managers. She is uh, highly featured. Yes, she is the oh. manager. She's a heart soul of it. And again, I love. I love, and this is the magic of documentaries. But you don't know when the break happened, so you, you relive those glory years of how she. She's the one who who um, so sold everything to send them to Europe to open up for uh, the. Uh, the little little detail that won't be in the documentary is Ginger yeah. managed the Pop Tarts for a while. Really. And the radio. <laughs> What, what do you remember about her? She used to live on Avenue B between 9th and 8th Street. She was right opposite the Cristadora building in a gorgeous apartment. And Rennie and I had no money. And she invited us over for dinner one night and ordered takeout. And there were just so many cartons of food. We were like, this is amazing. And um, I, obviously she had made a coin or two from managing the Go-Go's. But she yeah. did talk about how... She basically mortgaged everything she had to get them going. And, and she was very um, 
sort of mature about the fact that she'd been sort of passed over and, you know, yeah. that they'd moved on. And But it is um, that typical thing where you make it and you can't, the people that got you there couldn't possibly take you any further and in swoop the big guys who, like, tell you and seduce right. you and will take care of you and we'll make it all happen. It's right. Classic, it's a classic story and I recommend it to everyone. Well, we're way over right now, so I'll probably just use this on the YouTube version. But I have a special connection with Jane Weedland, too, because the only time I ever worked on set, I worked on RuPaul's Drag U Season 2, and she was one of the celebrity contestants at the very end. It was her, downtown Julie Brown, and Stacey Q, all-star lineup, and they were all so sweet. Yes, and I got I was the talent coordinator. So I was the one that was closest to all of them, and it was so awesome. I think that's a legendary group of women, and and that's when Drag Race was on Logo, and they were game. And I just love that all three of those women are so willing to just like jump in and have fun, and 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 fuck it up, and have you know it's that punk mentality of like let's just do it. It's before stars became just impossible, right? <laughs> so many. Yeah. I mean, you know, anyway, let's go, let's go on. We're way, way over. So number six, James. Number six. Um, I see that Clueless is being rebooted for television um, as a mystery series, which is a little odd. Um, I wanted, oh, and it will center on the character of Dion, played by Stacey Dash in the, in the movie and in the, the series. So it's, um, well, it's not Stacey Dash, but it's the character of Dion. Um, it's described as a hell of a pitch. I want to read it to you. It's described as a baby pink and bisexual blue-tinted tiny sunglass-wearing oat milk latte and Adderall-fueled look at what happens when Queen Bee Cher disappears and her lifelong number two steps into her vacant Air Jordans. How does Dion deal with the pressures of being the new most popular girl in school while also unraveling the mystery of what happened to her best friend? So it sort of sounds like Veronica Mars, but with a black lead character, which is something that is, is you know is wanted and needed right now. It's welcome. Um, it comes on the heels of uh, the news that the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is being rebooted as a TV show, but as a drama, not as a comedy, which is also strange. And I don't know if we need that. Um, I see that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the movie is being rebooted as a Will Smith and Kevin Hart vehicle instead of Steve Hart, Steve Martin and John Candy. I thought you said it's going to be redone, but this time it's a cooking show. <laughs> right. It sort of it seems like I, I it feels like we're it, we say it all the time Hollywood is out of ideas. You wish that they would do these fabulous shows with these black characters with black, you know, actors and actresses, but we don't need to go back and do Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as a drama and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Will Smith and Kevin Hart. I also see that Daria, the um, cartoon from the 90s, is being redone with the character of Jody, who is the black character in that. She, it's her adventures post-college, and it will be voiced by um, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. And that's coming too. So there's a lot of uh, uh, interesting things happening, but I don't know that we need any of them. <laughs> you never know. It, it's it's the excuse to get something made, and then it just has to be good or not. I guess exactly, so. exactly. Uh, so I, I do think that Clueless might be interesting as a as a as a mystery, but the other ones I'm not I'm not on board with. All right. Um, well, the release dates for those are still to be determined. So uh, number five. Number five. 
I can't wait to see this movie. Um, it's a new book that's out. Uh, it's called A Star is Bored. Have you heard about it at all? Yes. Okay, stop me when you've heard this one before. But uh, uh, a, a guy is going for a job as an assistant. He's for, it's for a Hollywood star. Her name is Kathy Cannon. And she is in a movie in which she saves Earth and she plays the part of Priestess Talaria. Hmm, I wonder who that <laughs> so, Okay, Byron Lane is, is, is the author of the book, and it's really basically about his life as... It, he denies it. He says it's not at all, but his life as Carrie Fisher's assistant. And from the moment the, from the, moment the novel, the Roman Aklaf, begins, the way he described the gate outside Carrie Fisher's old house, it's like, oh my God, I know exactly what he's talking about. Because uh, years ago, we made a documentary, uh, Wishful Drinking, about Carrie Fisher's amazing one-woman show, um, which was based on her... What, what book was it based on? Uh, Wishful Drinking. Wishful Drinking. Oh, was, yeah. Why not? Yes. And... Um, but anyway, so I remember so clearly pulling up to the outside, that gate, and then the way the, uh, you get to punch in things on the walkie-talkie button and the way she would bark at you and the way the gate would open and then you'd drive up. and talk. It's like it is a fascinating read. And what is so brilliant is that Byron Lane is, is obviously somehow Sputnik-like, Parasite-like, has inherited the humor of... Carrie I was going to say, it's, it's two peas in a pod. It's it's such a it's such a gorgeous read and hilarious and and it's such a tribute to Carrie's you know just her insane humor. She calls the, the character in the book is called Charlie Besson and she immediately calls him Cockring, and it's just all of Carrie's lines and the the just the sort of I can't recommend it enough. But I think it's going to make a great movie. I'm sure it's already been. Yeah, it sounds like a movie is coming soon. Yeah. And it reminded me, actually, uh, Tom, of Byron Seller, the, the genre of the assistant writing the, the tell-all or the, you know. Or the, the, the wig, the, the bitch in the, in the takedown. Oh, right, the meltdown. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's Byron Lane's A Star is Bored. Great title, by the way. And the book cover is fabulous. You know those, um, those balloons that you inflate? Uh, in mylar balloons, and they're in the shape of letters. Mm-hmm. That's what the cover is. It's just oh. the cover itself is lovely. All right, um, let's take a break. Blake, if you got a question, I do. I do. I do. What pop star and Ellen are eleventh cousins? Oh. Pop superstar. All right, you're watching the Wow Report on Radio Andy. We'll have the answer after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. And Blake, you asked us a very difficult question before the break. (laughs) Yes, what pop superstar is 11th Cousins with Ellen DeGeneres? I'm going to say it's either Helen Reddy or Demi Lovato. Very good. Um, Ellen's from Louisiana. I don't know, you know, that's a lot of cousins away. Uh, I'm wondering, is it Big Frida, Queen of Bounce, who has, you know, Frida's got a gun going out fest, or for some reason, I want to say Katy Perry. Katy Perry's my final answer. 
I all I can say is our eleventh cousins even related. I mean, hasn't the DNA been stretched so thin there is no actual relationship? Yeah, I don't think that they really are, but they're in the same lineage. So the answer is birthday girl Madonna. Oh, that's interesting. Has Madonna ever been on Ellen's show? I don't know. Just good to show you can be 11th cousins. It doesn't mean you're that close. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Can't get on your show. Just, probably just get socks at Christmas, you know? <laughs> or what did Ivanka give out? Gift baskets? She gave out one lame shoe filled with candy and wrapped in cellophane. Yes. And that was to her niece or step niece. <laughs> All right, we've reached number four in our countdown of things that made us go wow this week. Number four. Um, I'm going to tiptoe into this because it's an explosive issue, and I'm not taking either side. I think it's kind of a fascinating study. But Ellen Gate, I'm calling it. Ellen DeGeneres called out, sort of been shamed and canceled on the Internet in sort of a unofficial campaign over the last few months that it's a toxic works environment that's actually been then sort of officially charged against Warner Brothers, the parent company, the Ellen DeGeneres show. You know, is Ellen a monster? She's so nice on TV. Do you have to be like what you are on TV? If you differ from being, if you're super nice, but your persona is different than your persona, is that a crime? Um, This week they fired three top executives. Uh, Ellen made a statement to her staff saying that, you know, she was very disappointed. She thought they were carrying out her, her desire and her, her credo, but they weren't. And and it's just an interesting time in history where millennials and everybody below them are so fragile. So workplaces have to be, for better or worse, I'm not putting judgment on it, but everyone's expecting to be treated with respect because I don't know about you guys, but I came up in a business where we weren't respected. And I don't know, it was part of the uh, ritual of getting into show business. And now I hear people say, well, just because you survived abuse doesn't mean that you should become an abuser. It's like, okay, that makes sense. Well, so, and you talked about this before. Uh, Fenton and I sort of got into it a few weeks ago when you weren't here, where Sorry. the difference is, is that if you set yourself up as a steely, you know, iron-fisted boss and you are, you know, you, 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 are, you, you run a tight ship and everything, that's one thing. But Ellen has sold herself as the nice girl and is, is the, the, the softy. And therefore, it's a bit more of a betrayal people feel when you learn that she's not the persona that she, she presents to be. Which it's, it's a betrayal. It's also good like gossip fodder. You know what I'm saying? It's and, the way and everyone right now, we've talked about this as well, where people are frustrated and they want the scapegoats. They want, to, uh, you know, they want to burn down the village because they're so frustrated with everything. And so they're lashing out at anyone and everyone that, that's in their path. And that's sort of what's happening to Ellen. But um, you posted I, something about this sort of recently. What, oh my God. I, I so sort of, I mean, I knew the moment I hit send, it was it was reposting the advocate piece where a, a writer um, just said, you know, we can't see Ellen because she's not as nice as she seems. You know, WTF. And, uh, you know, James and I, we did have a bit of a, a set, too. But it is so interesting how. Uh, just uh, well, didn't you say, James, you know, the thing about cancel culture is it's going to come for you. You yeah, know, and, and that, that is that is the thing. And um, it eventually 
everyone is going to be taken down a peg or two. And I don't know if it's a great cleansing that America needs right now or the young people need. And that's we're going to get all the bad stuff out of the all the vitriol out of the way for this great new utopian era that's 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 coming up or whether we're all going to descend into a morass of just hate and 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 spewing of of vitriol. Paul Morrissey, who worked with Warhol for many, many years, and you'd think that someone who was in the Warhol circle would be, uh, you know, into the superstars and stuff. He hated them all. And he said the thing about the thing about utopias is the moment you try to create, the moment you decide the world you're in is the toilet and you try to create a better world, all you do is create a worse toilet. You know, it's just like the shit show just gets worse. There is, I listen to you guys, and I'm sorry for repeating, but hubris is strong, right? That's been around for a long time. Combined and hubris with- leads to nemesis, as we know from our Greek tragedies. Yes, exactly. And the idea that you can't really keep the facade up because everybody has a little bit of a voice. And But the other thing I'll say in defense of Ellen, who I have a soft spot for because just of what she represents to our community and how her coming out. I remember sitting with my lesbian friends the night of that show. And, you know, that woman's been kicked down a lot and she's come back up. But I wonder... I just wonder if this is a great opportunity for her. Listen, we can all, part of this growing and being more like socially aware and accepting, you know, and and letting go of prejudices and shedding skins is saying, I need to do better. I need to learn and know better. But but hold on. The role model in that, that's all I'm saying. And and the fact is, is you you can say, I'm going to do better. And then if you don't do better, you, you need to be called out for it. And just because you did something great in the 90s and you change society and culture, does that mean that we have to give you a, a free pass for everything for the rest of your life? None of that, but I have sentimental I have sentimental feelings about her. And I, again, she can't just say I'm going to do better. You have to do better. But I think it's true for you know all of us. There's uncomfortableness. No one wants to admit that what they were saying or doing. And it doesn't have to be an extreme Ellen kind of situation. But I think if we're all going to shed skins and live and grow, that we have to be given that chance. So again, Ellen has risen from the ashes before. It, it, it's it's going to be interesting when she gets back on the air and how she deals with it. And that's you know I'm not sitting here judging her, but it's a it is it is a, a bunches of things all swirling together. So that's where I am. It's definitely a lot. And in fact, I, number three, James. Number three. Isn't that? Do we sort of are we continuing the same? Yeah, we have um, uh, something happened this week that was really upsetting, and it, it, this leads perfectly from what we were just talking about into this. Um, Randy Rainbow is somebody who has gotten us through the last four years, and he is a genius. And uh, his song parodies are, you know, from uh, from Broadway musicals and from Katy Perry and everybody, Madonna and yeah, Ariana Grande. It's just it's encapsulated all of our frustration and all of our feelings that we've had. Unfortunately, this week, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Twitter, cancel culture has come for Randy Rainbow, and a bunch of tweets that he had from 10 years ago have surfaced, and people are saying that they're very racist, and if you read them, it's not up to me just to decide if something is racist, and if uh, people of color, if black people or brown people are offended by it, then it's not up for me to say that it's not not what they say it is, you know what I'm saying? Um, And it's sad because... Like I said, Randy is somebody who is so so 
important to the times right now. And every time he comes out with a new song, I say, you know, he needs a bigger platform. Why aren't we giving him the Nobel Priest Prize? Why doesn't he have a Broadway show? Why isn't he on Saturday Night Live? You know, I want him so much to succeed. And we were just saying that cancel culture eventually comes for everybody. And right now he seems to be in the hot seat. And it's it's um, sad. And you wonder, you know, at what point do we forgive people for their stupidity from 10 years ago? And can you say that somebody was just because they were young that we can we can excuse it? Or, you know, can people really change? If you were racist 10 years ago, are you still are you just hiding it better now? Or, you know, what? What do we do with these people who bring us joy? And then we discover this bad part about them. Go, Tom. Two things. One is um, I didn't know anything about this. So I'm hearing this fresh and I'm yeah. shocked because I love Lady Rainbow and, and, and we work with him and he um, and I love what he does. And I think it's really powerful and he's incredibly talented. I'm upset to hear this. I think, again, we, we, we're, we will all be canceled at this rate. I'm not trying to be. Yeah, we're but I do think, you know, people are, you know, given a chance. I, I think cancel culture may, the cancel culture itself may eat itself out, eat itself up. Just because it's the shock of being canceled feels uh, with each one a little, I don't know, less, wow, or go, you know, it's almost like you can, you can, you can look at Twitter at night to see who's getting canceled. You know, you almost want to see who's trending. But I will just say this. Randy, I'm suspicious, and this is what it is. I'm not saying that things weren't racist. It's not me to judge. I haven't even seen them. But Randy Rainbow is such an effective voice against right-wing America. I'm wondering who unearthed those tweets. Who who is, you know, it's like that Russian bot thing. I I sometimes feel like the right is very good at throwing red meat at the, the liberals so we will tear each other apart. Well, I I do know that Randy has yet to address this, but he has been deleting all of those tweets from 2010 and or his people are. And um, that is is, that is in itself an acknowledgement that he realizes that this is something that is, is, you know, harmful or upsetting to people. Um, And I just think that at some point. We all have to go over. We, you have to lie in the dark of the night when you're alone. You have to go over every inch of your life and say, "What have I done?" and "What is what is out there?" You know, and and you have to be at, at peace with with what you've done. And um, you know, and you only have so much control over what other people say, other people think. And yeah. I lie in bed and think not to be self, but I try to say, "What can I do today?" And not going to be better yeah. today. Yeah. That's and, all I've got. By the same token, how much does um, cancel culture really, how many people are really truly canceled when you start to see people like Louis C.K. going back out there and Kevin Hart back out there? And, you know, all the people who were supposedly canceled, their their careers, they take six months off, they lie low, and then they come back and it's as if nothing happened. So, you know, what? I'll be curious to see how Randy handles this movie. Yeah. And all I'll say is that I just think it's, it's, it's telling to me that we often attack less uh, um, less offenses while ignoring the enormous problem right in front of our faces, which is, you know, a supremely evil, yes. uh, extremely racist, vile... Um, and why, why are we coming after our own? Why are we eating our own as opposed to going after, you know, the, the where those seeds are planted of the same. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay, let's move on. Number two. 
Number two. I bet this would be better if it was a Soviet version. This is a movie streaming on Netflix called uh, Power Project, and it's by Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, who uh, they made the documentary Catfish, and they've done oh, right. a couple yeah. of the paranormal activities. And basically, it's a sort of drug heist movie, and the drug is power. So you take a pill, and for five minutes, you have a superpower. Now, if you're an evil person, the drug makes you very evil. And so you never quite know what you're going to get, but you take the drug, and you know, like, so one person like springs metal blades from all over his body, or another person, she, she becomes super cold and freezes everything she touches, and another person bursts into flames and burns everything, and oh, another person can camouflage completely, can go rob a bank because they can camouflage with the surroundings. Sounds like the Fantastic Four or X Men or something. Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, it, it, except except the twist is you take the drug and it only lasts for five minutes. Well, and how much can you accomplish in five minutes? Rob a bank in five minutes, James. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> haven't you? And, <laughs> and of course, then it's the usual sort of evil person caper that they're, they're basically test marketing this drug in New Orleans. And um, Jamie Foxx is a good guy who's come to try and figure out where it's coming from and to stop it. And he runs into Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's a kind of... I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, my God. My favorite actor on the planet. I know. Hot man. So there you go. Um, and that's streaming on Netflix. But I had a slightly sort of creepy takeaway. It's sort of, I felt that I'm also watching at the same time this... It's old uh, Frontline, I think, PBS documentary about Amazon. And I was sort of having watched this thing about power and taking pills and Amazon and their whole desire to crush the competition and they started out selling books and then they shafted the booksellers and then they're selling everything and people are working in inhumane warehouse, you know, you know, the whole Amazon story made me realize that in a way, this idea of power, this pill that you take, that is the wish fantasy of what Netflix or Amazon or Google want to be, you know, that they want us all to be, that they don't want to be that. They want us all to be addicted to the drug that they provide. And I guess we are, you know, so it's like a sort of slightly depressing film to watch. Uh, it's called The Power Project on Netflix. <laughs> okay. I will definitely check it out. Anything with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I'm there. I know. Well, that's uh, that's what I do here. I bring you hot men's every week. I bring you the latest Soviet cosmonaut and the latest Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. He's doing a lot lately. So Now, if we could just get Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jack Schloss- Kennedy Schlossberg in a movie together... Then that would be a James St. James fantasy come true. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing that made us go wow this week. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom. I just want to tell you, you must get your person, man, woman, November vote t-shirt. Because I think there's only... Mm, 74, 73 days to the election, and um, 100% of the proceeds from this T-shirt go to the National Coalition on Black Civil Participation. So shop now at store.worldofwonder.net. All right, we've reached number one. What is number one? Number one. I once had a dream that after RuPaul's Drag Race contestants competed and left the show, that we'd be able to follow them and see what it's like 
in more of a docu-series format to see what it's like to perform and to live together and to fall in love. A whole different dimension. And tonight, that dream is coming true on VH1. It's RuPaul's Drag Race Vegas Review. Not the sexiest title, but it gets it across. Um, uh, five of our queens uh, have got together for a show called RuPaul's Drag Race Live, the first ever sort of like drag, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, what do Britney Spears have? They have those- uh, Residency. Residency, thank you. There's lots of drag in Vegas. This was a residency at the Flamingo, a big deal. And Asia O'Hara, Vanji, Ms. Vanji, Evie Audley, Naomi Smalls, Cameron Michaels, and Derek Berry were part of the cast of the actual show. And this is the behind the scenes of the show. They lived and worked together. Um, the show opened, we've talked about it here, it opened, the, the, the Vegas show opened in January, two rave reviews, two sold out crowds. Um, and then, you know, we were shooting this thing, Danielle King, who's an amazing executive producer, who's worked on our million dollar listing, is producing this. And in the middle of this, obviously the, what we're dealing with happened, COVID, Vegas. And so the show takes incredible leaps and turns but it's really intimate. Rue is on camera in it. He's, you know, he produced and directed the show along with Jamal Sims. So it's all there. Uh, Leland, Brett McLaughlin wrote the music. It's it's just fun. Tom, you're far too modest. You wrote some of the music too. You added the lyrics and things. I mean, and it. I, I have to say it, I, I've been watching some of the trailers for it and I'm thinking, God, I'd watch that show. That looks really good, which yeah. is not a feeling I normally have with things because you've normally worked on them for a night you're like, sick of the sight of it or just filled with anxiety but i'm thinking oh my god that looks so good <laughs> it will be interesting you know it's fridays at eight o'clock that's the drag race time um you know it's not a competition elimination so you don't have to watch but i'm hoping a lot enough people do because it's really entertaining it's it, the drag queens you love in a whole different light and um and wouldn't it be great if we could be doing one of these you know a different one every year where we follow the queens in vegas or new york or europe or all kinds of things so RuPaul's Drag Race, Vegas Review, Fridays, VH, VH1, 8 p.m. What were some of the other titles we had? Remind me. because uh, um, Queen of Vegas, but Queen I think I think somebody already had that title. And then it was them. The brainstorms of titles in the Drag Race world get very silly very quickly. Extravaganza, elegans, you know, everything sort of uh, Queen's Gone Wild, things like that. Queen's a Wild, that's right, Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning into the Wow Report this week. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Blake. Uh, we'll be here same time, same place next week. Until then, go out, wear a mask, and do something that makes the world go wow. Yeah!